0: Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Community Church. Amen, thanks Hannah. So there's an old proverb that says that you never really know a man until you fight him. I've um, kind of updated that personally for my life and I, I now say that you never really know a man until you play football with them. Say so, you know, Ben, Mike, Josh, Andy, a few others. You will know me in a different way to how most of the others of you will know me from our Tuesday nights down at Leisure League. Um, but what happens at Leisure League stays at Leisure League <laughs> is our mantra. Right, Mike? <laughs> right, good. Um, however, so if you don't play football, um, then one other uh, great way to get to know someone A bit more is to spend some time in their house. You know, as you you walk in, you immediately learn something. Some people's homes, you kind of, every room looks like a showroom, pristine. Other houses, perhaps like mine, you walk in and get your foot stuck in the Lego and you go to sit down on the sofa, but there's some stick carved into a hunting spear from the garden and all sorts of other detritus around. Perhaps uh, you wander over to the bookshelf, have a look at the books, maybe that's the first place you gravitate towards, or to the DVD collection, or to the memorabilia on the mantelpiece. Everyone's got something that tells you something. The photos of the extended family or the memorable holidays, and all these things spark up conversations you otherwise probably wouldn't have, tell you something you otherwise wouldn't know about people. The way people do meal times—fascinating—the little habits and quirks of each household, the things that people talk about and ask about, the things they don't talk about and ask about. So, lest um, I be giving a false impression, I'm not talking about kind of Sherlock Holmes and the art of deduction this morning, but I am talking teaching team with spiritual discipline of hospitality. As a teaching team, we decided it'd be good as a part of our Sundays and uh, a few Sundays through the year where we tackle spiritual disciplines. And uh, Tim started back earlier in this year talking about formation and experience, saying that um, it's really important for all of us who follow Jesus to learn to encounter him and to be with him, but also to have rhythms in our life that shape our hearts and shape our lives Uh, to be more like Jesus. And spiritual disciplines actually help us with both of these. Uh, The the disciplines are just what we call the things that Christians have done for 2,000 years, uh, both to encounter Jesus and to shape their lives and their hearts. The disciplines are central to both encounter and formation. And the most common misconception about the spiritual disciplines are that these are the things that you've got to do to keep God happy. Um, and that's a load of rubbish. God's um, happy all the time, and uh, you really don't have to do anything to maintain him in his state of happiness. He's he's fine without your help. Um, instead, the spiritual disciplines, rather, a means of grace. They're for us. They're ways. They're things that we can do to open our lives up more to the blessing and the goodness and the love and the peace and the beauty of God. So. Um, if I was to sum it up in a phrase, I'd say they are heart-shaping practices, not legalistic rules. Okay? So everything I say this morning about hospitality, hear it in that framework. This is a heart-shaping practice. It's not legalistic rules. So I think um, the last one we did of this was Adrian, shortly after Easter, I think. you talked to us about, I don't know why I put it on the floor, actually. It could have gone there. Uh, you talked to us about rhythms of life, did you not? And what was the odd? That was it. Because I know a load of people read it. Seeking God, Seeking God. that was it. So Adrian talked about that um, after Easter. I know many of you uh, actually went and got that book and have read it. Men is probably an exaggeration. Some of you went and got that book and read it. Uh, today we're going to do hospitality. So the command to hospitality crops up four times in the New Testament. We're going to briefly look through the texts. So uh, you're ready to whiz through them with me, John. So the first, I'm in church, let love be genuine. Uh, Paul writes this uh, to the Roman church. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And then he goes on to tell you what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in the hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of of the saints and seek to show hospitality and then he moves on Uh, 1 Timothy 5 is our next one Uh, this is in a little uh, passage where Paul is telling Timothy which widows you should support and which you shouldn't because there was some a big complex problem about widows which we won't go into this morning but when he's describing the kind of good works that a widow should have done uh, through her life he includes hospitality. So, you know, she can go on the register if she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. Um, the third one is in Hebrews. Another kind of just passage uh, talking about brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter four we have this show hospitality to one another without grumbling so there you go four different letters four uh, different christian congregations that were encouraged to show hospitality and you'll notice that we're not actually told anything really about what that involves in our texts there's no description of this is how you show hospitality and the reason is because hospitality was just a really common virtue in the ancient world. Everyone, not just in Jewish and Christian circles, but in Greek and Roman circles as well, everyone knew what it was to show hospitality. Um, but our, that ancient world, that ancient context is very different to our context today. So what I want to do uh, this morning is start by quickly saying a bit about hospitality in the ancient world and why it was such an important virtue for them. And then think a little bit about what it might mean for us to be uh, hospitable and to offer hospitality in a very different kind of context. And finally, because it's a spiritual discipline, we'll kind of finish with thinking a bit about how the practice of hospitality shapes our hearts, how it forms us into being more like Jesus. So that's the plan. Hospitality in the ancient world. Then, perhaps um, the best way to kind of understand its importance is to is to know that hospitality had both practical and relational dimensions. Um, you know, if you imagine, uh, say we all lived in like Ephesus. Let's pick Ephesus as a city. You know. Say we all lived in Ephesus. How would we imagine what life would be like there? Well, the first thing. I'd want you to imagine is, remember, there is no police force, okay? So um, there is the, the Roman military that will maintain a level of law and order, mainly making sure there's no massive public riots or things that would disturb the peace of the ruling classes. But if you go and get mugged and someone beats you up in the street, there's no one that's really gonna care. And if there was someone that was gonna care, well, there's no CCTV, there's no kind of dash cam apps, there's, no, there's not this sort of thing That it's going to be very difficult to get any kind of sort of justice like we have today. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, doesn't he? And he starts out by telling the story of a man who was travelling between two cities and he got beaten up and robbed on the road. And that just happened all the time. That's why Jesus picks it for a parable, because Jesus always tells parables using stuff that happened all the time. So life was just more vulnerable, physically vulnerable in the ancient world. If you were traveling, uh, you did your best to make sure you were traveling with a group of people um, because you were then a little bit safer than wandering the roads uh, when there's just a couple of you. And when you got to the city where you're going, there's no Hilton Hotel or even kind of travel lodge in the morning. Um, There were ancient inns, um, but they were notorious for being dangerous and immoral. So uh, if you went to an ancient inn, it'd be very easy to pick up a prostitute, but not so easy to make sure that you had a safe night's sleep. So on the whole, uh, people avoided them where they could. Um, Or if you did stay in an inn, again, you'd try and stay with quite a group of you in the inn. Um, Going somewhere, um, and the other dilemma, of course, is how you're going to eat, because if you, you need to feed yourself if you're going on a long journey, but if you take a load of cash to buy your food, you're even more likely to get robbed. But if you don't bring your cash, you're likely to be hungry. So these were the sort of, this was just life 2,000 years ago. And therefore, the safe places, the places where you wanted to go whenever you weren't at home, were the homes of other people. These were the places where you could as best as possible, guarantee friends or family or at least people who are well-disposed towards you, there'd at least be kind of walls and doors and others nearby to provide some sort of security. You can have your basic needs met and be fed. It was a massive risk to travel somewhere and not be taken into a home. You might remember a and having to potentially sleep in the square, and that's why hospitality, partly why hospitality was such a key virtue in the ancient world. When a stranger appeared, the virtue of the city or the family to whom the stranger came was tested by whether they were willing to offer hospitality or whether they left the stranger vulnerable. Um, instead so do you remember Abraham and the story of him entertaining the the guests who, who turn out in the end to be angels the angel of the Lord but but the whole story shows Abraham's hospitality and his virtue because when these visitors arrive he makes every effort to accommodate them and this takes us already into the relational dimensions of hospitality you know, given all I've just said about the ancient world, to invite someone into your home, generosity erosotelf, an act of real vulnerability and trust and generosity. I'm inviting someone in close to my wife and my children, close to my valuable possessions. So to do this and to kind of share my feed and to eat with them, was seen as a significant act of relationship. Um, You know, in the ancient world, to eat with someone didn't just represent you guys filling your stomachs at the same time and in the same place. It meant communing together, uh, a kind of significant act of friendship. And that's why uh, the Pharisees are so outraged when Jesus is eating with tax collectors, creates significant bonds of friendship with them. That's why they're Kind of I outraged a bit about it. She's deliberately building relationships with these people, and and therefore it was like a moral outrage in the ancient world to abuse hospitality, for someone to offer you hospitality and for you then to harm them, was pretty much the worst thing you could do after harming your parents. You know, if you're a really despicable person, you abused hospitality. And you, we see a hint of this in Psalm 41, actually, which I thought I'd, um, I'd whack on the board. So I think it's the next slide, John. Uh, in this psalm, the psalmist is complaining about all the people who have let him down and betrayed him and hurt him. He says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Oh my days, even that one has come, has come against me. kind of pinnacle of betrayal so i hope i'm giving you a flavor of why it mattered in the ancient world and uh, and how they thought of it and size Um, you weren't normally just offering a bed for the night and an evening meal Uh, then the obligations of hospitality were that for as long as that guest stayed with you you were responsible for um meeting their needs providing them Um, and with food for them, their companions, their animals, etc., guaranteeing their safety. Really, the the obligations of hospitality included giving them provisions for the next stage of their journey as well. Like I said, you just don't carry cash and food with you. So it was quite an expense, really. And this kind of hospitality was um, so important for the first Christians. Uh, We see in the New Testament and, and later... That the first church, you had kind of wandering Christians traveling around, encouraging new congregations. You had kind of wandering teachers and prophets. And you had messengers and letters and collections, financial collections back and forth. And uh, all these first churches were linked in this way. And that would have been impossible without a strong commitment to hospitality. And not only this, but Jesus pushed his followers to offer hospitality in a way that went above and beyond even what was common in that culture in Luke's gospel in chapter 14 Jesus uh, Jesus said this he said when you give a dinner or a banquet do you not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid but when you give a feast invite the poor the crippled the lame The blind, and ye will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for ye will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Because giving and receiving hospitality built strong relationships, it was natural to do this with your friends, your family, those that would be a good connection for you, maybe give you a leg up in the world. But Jesus challenges his followers to reach out beyond this and to practice hospitality with those outside. They're kind of natural circles, those who have nothing to repay them, those who no one else would invite into their homes and so on. We'll come back to that thought a little bit later on. What about us then? I mean, transparently, we live in a very different world, don't we? The uh, A lot of the practical reasons why hospitality was so important just aren't the same for us. Uh, we, we generally can travel in relative safety. We have things like holes in the wall where I just need to carry a bit of plastic rather than a wad of cash. So the practical reasons don't trouble us in the same way in the West anyway. They certainly do in other parts of the world, but for us in the West. And therefore, part, partly for that reason, I think if you ask you know, people on the street, what are the five greatest virtues, the five things that make a good man a good man, Whereas in the ancient world, everyone would have put hospitality in their top five. In our world, I don't think anyone would cross anyone's mind. Partly because of the practical things and partly because I think we've so lost a grip on what matters. I mean, us in a kind of a wider Western sense, not, you know, necessarily you. So for today then, how is hospitality important for us today? Uh, what, what is it? For us what, what is the heart of it I think so I've identified three aspects that I think uh, are still incredibly relevant for us and probably capture the heart of what hospitality is for us um, here in Amblecote today so the first one is is welcoming in I, I think this is the heart of hospitality is still welcoming someone in And I think the primary expression of this welcome is still to welcome someone into our homes, to open the doors, uh, let someone into your castle and offer them our feed and our space. And the feed and the space and the gifts of hospitality are real gifts, but really they encompass and represent in some way welcoming that person into our lives. I think. Obviously, not in a total sense, we don't dissolve all boundaries when we practice hospitality. But to offer hospitality today is still an act of vulnerability, I think. I'm still inviting you into my space, where my family are and other things that are very important to me, where you're able to see the way I live to some extent, to see the pictures on my wall and the books on my bookshelf. You know, if you're out to harm me, this gives you plenty of ammunition. I'm opening up my life to you and saying in some way that you are welcome here in my life. And that's why true hospitality is not about showing off. Like having people over and being hospitable is not about displaying our wealth or our incredible um, cooking to kind of create some intimidating standard. It's not trying to present an image to others. It's about opening up our real lives to someone else and welcoming them in. So secondly uh, then, hospitality must involve making room for someone. I think that's implied if you welcome someone in, you have to have made room for them, but I think it's worth pausing on in itself. To invite someone to come over and share a meal for me, I have to make space in my life. I have to make space in my time, time that I could spend doing something else. I have to make room in my budget to feed some extra mouths. I have to make room in my energy. I think this is often the biggest one for us because it does take energy to offer hospitality, to not only provide the feed and the space and the time, but to converse And to listen and to take an interest. To make room in my attention for someone else. You know, on the whole, um, you know, we as a culture, including we, uh, are less good at listening than we think we are. Um, It's quite hard to really listen carefully and attentively to someone. Um, And on the whole, it's, it's not something we excel at. Me and me and Joe, I remember uh, an evening in Nottingham where a couple called Tom and Martha on our street had us over for dinner. And uh, we we always remember that evening because they listened to us in a in a way we've rarely experienced. They um asked not just one or two questions, but the second question and the third question, like the things that when we answered, they would listen to what we said and answer us. Ask us something else about what we'd said, which is very interested in our answers, and um, they were so attentive to us. Um, And we went away from that evening, a feeling totally loved. If you want to love someone, listen to them well. You feels you feel really loved when someone listens to you well. But also struck by how rare that an experience that is. And we kind of we always use like Tom and Martha as our... Uh, exemplars of who we try and be in terms of being able to listen to people. But it it takes making room for someone to be able to do that. Thirdly, uh, hospitality bonds. And if if this is hospitality, then as we do this, we have to be intentionally forming bonds of relationship and friendship with those we invite in and make room for. We, We seek not only to give them gifts in our food and drink, but also to take an interest and to offer something of ourselves. And as we seek to know and to be known, we will inevitably deepen the bonds of relationship we have with that person. Perhaps I could put it this way. You know, if if I have offered hospitality to someone or received it from them, if we've been eating together in one of our homes, we have different conversations after that than we did before. Not everyone we offer hospitality to will become a close friend. Some of those relationships may fade away, but they will be changed by the giving and receiving of hospitality. As the psalm we looked at indicates, there's still an intimacy that's formed in the sharing of food together in a home. And it's just not normal in our culture anymore. Uh, You know, I meet people regularly who Um, who just haven't had anyone over for a meal for years, if ever. Maybe some family, occasionally. But to give and receive hospitality is something that increasingly just doesn't really happen in many parts of our society. I know that some, uh, some of you who have joined our church family in more recent years, I know it's been something that you were struck by, that people invited you over for food. And would be eating with each other all the time. And, um, yeah. So I think that's kind of how I'd sum up the, the guts of hospitality for us today. A welcoming in and making space for someone else in a way that builds bonds of friendship and relationship. If you want to discover the deepest riches of hospitality, though, we must also account for what Jesus said about offering it to those on the margins. Uh, Jesus, uh, in his own day, named some examples, the cripple and the tax collector and so on. But we might sum this up by, by saying that Jesus commands us to offer hospitality to those who are not like us. That's how I'd sum it up. That might include the material, materially poor, as some of um, Jesus' examples did. But he also talks about tax collectors. He weren't materially poor. The Monday equivalent for us, someone who does an immoral job that's largely rejected by the religious community. I don't know. Someone who works high up for a gambling company. I kind of... Well, it's risky to give examples, isn't it? <laughs> I've got several in my head. But the point is that it's not... What Jesus meant was not only about offering hospitality to those who were poor and didn't have food... But opening ourselves up to those who are not like us, who aren't normally welcome in our circles, people who are different. Perhaps people who don't relate as normally or as easily as others do. You know. Because this is so different to charity. Like charity, I can go over here and help someone and then I can come back here. And they stay there and I stay here. And I might have helped them and that's good and charity's fine. But hospitality is so different because rather than them staying there, I go and get them and bring them here. And then now they're here <laughs> with me. And that's different. In my space, to do all the things we talked about. Making room in my life. I think that's just as challenging for us today as it would have been for those to whom Jesus first said that. So um, if that's what it looks like, I want to finish with why should we do it? I know how does it shape our hearts and shape our communities? I've got four. There's way more, but I've got four. Um, first of all, it should be clear from all that we've talked about that um, hospitality is just a central way of forming community and we know that Jesus calls us to community certainly do if you've been in this church for a while bang on about it all the time we know Jesus calls us to community well hospitality is just one of the central ways of forming that that's why you know several of the smaller groups community groups in our church will eat together far more often than they'll meet together for other things try and pursue intimacy of relationships over food I think that one's hopefully more straightforward. Second reason um, I think why Jesus commands us to do this is to practice hospitality allows us to deal with our selfishness. There was a reason why Peter wrote in his letter to offer hospitality without grumbling. Hospitality is really costly not primarily in terms of feeding people, although that is a real cost, but the time, the energy, the effort, the fact that other people are not like us, the fact they're irritating, that they don't flatter our conceits or play to our rules. They drop their drink on the sofa that you just bought last month and they don't take their shoes off on your rug or whatever. Irritating. So if we offer hospitality, then there's going to be more than enough reasons to grumble. And that's why Peter points this out and says, the challenge is to offer hospitality and not grumble. And, and I, I just think that this discipline forces us, therefore, to deal with our, our selfishness. Some spiritual disciplines are perhaps harder for extroverts. Things like silence and solitude. Wow, well, hospitality, I think, um, pokes the introverts. Seven. I spend six out of my seven days on my own. If not seven. But offering hospitality shapes our hearts in, in these areas. Uh, since Jay and I have got married, we have consistently sought to do this. And I find it no easier now than I did 13 years ago. And yet... I have no regrets because Ray said earlier that God don't leave you a debtor, right? So as I surrender what I find hard in hospitality, time and again, I find that God in his grace meets us. And we experience more of Jesus because of trying to do this. So, yeah. We see God's grace at work in us and through us and me and joe have seen that many times and you wish that it just made it really easy to keep practicing the discipline but it doesn't it's still hard to make space in your life to do hospitality and yet god meets us in it so thirdly i think it shapes our hearts in so much as it gives us an opportunity to grow in grace with other people as we make room in our lives for them You know, when it's difficult, we have to learn what it is to forgive and to bear with others in love, as the New Testament says it. And when the hospitality is really rewarding, we learn what it is to be grateful for people and to acknowledge the richness of the people God puts in our life and to enjoy them. But in either case, with the help of the Holy Spirit, practicing hospitality can change the way we respond to others and we can learn to love them. Welcome back, kiddies. I've nearly finished. Preferring other people. Yeah, like, mate, there's so much stuff in the New Testament that you will never get a chance to apply unless you offer hospitality. Things like these things uh, become irrelevant until you offer hospitality and then you think, flipping heck, now I know why they're in the New Testament. Finally then, to offer hospitality is to open a door not only to community but to deeper discipleship and to mission. It creates opportunities for character change in us. I've talked about that. But if we embrace what Jesus says about offering hospitality to those beyond our circles, it also becomes central to mission. Jesus spoke a lot to the crowds, but in my reading of the New Testament, he spent just as much time eating with people. A lesson for us in that, I think. So I'm gonna finish there. I did have some like qualifying statements for where I've been unbalanced, but I'll just settle with being unbalanced and you can qualify me. Had an idea, in heads. Here's a suggestion for what to do about this. We had an idea. Hospitality month. Oh, hey, there it is. Say, not a legalistic requirement opportunity to know more of the goodness of God okay but we wondered why don't we have a go in November at doing hospitality month amongst us as a church family and what I mean by that is you know I've preached on this now you've still got about three weeks till November hopefully enough time to digest it think about it disagree with me whatever but then why don't you have a go at some point in November about applying this and putting it into practice uh, why don't you invite someone over for a meal if you haven't done it for a while? And if you have done it for a while, why don't you take what Jesus says seriously and invite someone over you wouldn't normally invite over for a meal? If, you, uh, if this is the sort of thing that wouldn't be appropriate for you to do on your own, or that, you know, maybe you're a single person and the thought of hosting a family is just overwhelming, why don't you take a few weeks to team up with someone either a friend or a family you already know well, and offer hospitality together to someone else. That could be possible as well. Um, yeah, that's it. I've, I've said enough. We're out of time. Safe is going to help us by whacking this on the social media. And what I'd love to do is, if we have a go together, what I'd like to do is then collect some stories after hospitality month of what we've done and how it's gone. And in faith the grace of God that we experience as we have a go. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Amblecote Community Church. For more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, amblecotecc.org.uk